0: What Dunn is trying to do is in his poetry, he's not pointing to something in the picture, he's pointing to something outside of the picture. That is what he is writing about are theological and spiritual ideas. Later poets, what they're trying to do is talk about what's in the picture.
1: Welcome to Classical Etc. You're in the studio with Shane
0: Saxon. Welcome to another episode of Classical Etc. On today's episode, we're going to talk about poetry. So, what you guys have been reading recently is poems. So, I'm going to just forego our regular discussion of reading and jump right in. So, Paul, we asked each other to bring some poems that we like. What poems did you bring and why?
1: Um. Well, I brought Shakespeare's Sonnet 29 after thinking through all the poems that actually I...
0: You wanted to go indie with something that people haven't heard about? And uh,
1: I I I did actually, and I wanted to bring was that that I felt were were had touched me at some point in my life, but one was about the hog killing by Wendell Berry, one was the Raven by Edgar Allan Poe, and I just felt like we needed something a little shorter, um, (laughs) than the Raven, and so uh, Shakespeare's Sonnet twenty nine. I was required to memorize this in high school, and I've. Uh, this is a stretch. I'm going to say I've never forgotten it. I have forgotten the words. I've never forgotten the experience. Mm.
2: Mm. That's nice.
1: So, I mean, <laughs> <laughs>
0: elaborate, what was the experience?
3: <laughs> for, for some students, it's that nice was to, a tortuous experience. To, <laughs> it's
2: nice to remember a nice high school experience You
1: know, memorizing I, Shakespeare. Well, yeah, We I don't know. We did this like once, once a month or once every two months. They'd give us a new poem we had to memorize and the English teacher would and, and, um, I, I. That was probably my first experience with a teacher who would. I mean, he would just go up to the board and he would write the thing out by memory mm. on the board, and we would all be copying it down. And he would go through and explain it to us. And I think it was probably the first time that I really felt poetry was accessible to me. Now, at this point, I we'd we'd already gone through multiple Shakespeare plays, so like I was used to the Shakespearean language. And so I think this moment of when I like I understood what he's talking about that he's kinda he's having a rough time. He's you know, he's be uh, bewailing his outcast state and he's beweeping his outcast he's state. He's beweeping be his weeping? outcast state. That's right. I love that word. I want to say it
3: about ten times during the pod. <laughs>
1: Great. And can I leave? <laughs> you may. <laughs> and, and but he thinks about this person that loves him and that completely changes his perspective and that i don't know for whatever reason that just in in high school it before meant you read this sonnet
0: would you have said you know as teenager paul which i i think you like became like 40 at like 10 is kind of my conception of your past <laughs> but uh <laughs> You and Dana. Speaks
2: the man with the gray hair.
0: (laughs) Which you have said, but a particularly childish (laughs) gray-haired man. But would you say that you liked poetry before, or did this do something to affect your relationship to poetry, the The, form itself? The latter.
1: really did change my relationship to poetry. The, The only poetry prior to that time that I remember enjoying was Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven, which... I was required to memorize, but it, it doesn't, it doesn't have this kind of depth. I don't mm. think. And, and as a kid, we had where the sidewalk ends by Shel Silverstein, which is very childish. Mm. It's enjoyable, but it, you know, and it, it will open sort of to a student. I think the, to a child, the, the idea of poetry that you can, you can have words and meter and verse that are, that are fun and, and, and entertaining, but this was the one I think that kind of hit me emotionally. Of like, this can express human longings in a way that other forms of expression don't.
0: Yeah, I think it. it students that I've taught um, tend to gravitate towards narrative poetry, and, I, and not that there's anything wrong with narrative poetry, but narrative poetry is more similar to the other forms. That it seems like people are are used to reading
2: something that tells
1: a story, yeah, yeah. Horatius, yeah. right? I mean, that's our sixth graders yes. do that, and I mean, it's very clear to be able to follow that poetry, I think, and <clears throat> the story that's being told. But this sonnet, it's not
0: narrative; it's trying to do something else, right? Or, or would you say it is narrative? It's just maybe a micro narrative, or how would you describe what this poem is doing?
1: I I would, I would say that this poem is is the the vast majority of it. I mean, I think the two thirds of it is, is expressing his despair, right? Uh, you know, his he's, he's outcast. He's everybody else has more than him or has, you know, has power and influence. And, and, and that, that's sort of the, the major sort of emotion I take away from it. Uh, but there's, all, there, there is a turning in some ways there's a narrative, right? There's a turning where his thoughts change. And instead of, being focused on himself, he's focused on somebody outside of himself, and that changes his perspective but but I would say the the what it does really well is express his feelings mm-hmm.
2: I think it's contemplative rather than a narrative yeah it's it's like the psalms
0: mm-hmm.
2: it feels like the psalms to me and the and the language like to the lark at break of day arising how much how much poetry is modeled after those mm. kinds of phrases. Right.
3: I mean, a narrative would proceed along some temporal path that, you know, it, it, it would, it would be a sort of in, in time. Whereas this, this poem is, is it's like, it's all looking at the same thing. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not narrative in, in any, in any sense that
1: any poem that would tell a story is a narrative mm-hmm. story. Stories involve necessarily time. Right, but there is something where he's he's talking he's he's thinking about one thing, moves on to the next, goes back and reflects on that first thing, but he's reflecting all the time on the same on this thats that's yeah. correct,
0: yeah, yeah to me i I had a kind of a breakthrough internally in terms of my appreciation of poetry when I changed my mindset around approaching poetry from reading like prose or um fiction, and it, I would sometimes think. That what I was trying to do is learn. Learn whether how the characters developed. I was trying to figure out what happened at the end. I was trying to gather the information that's being presented. Whereas when I read poems, I'm trying to just picture the image in my mind. And there is a kind of learning about that. But if what you're trying to do is create a mental image, a great poem is giving you a picture. And sometimes all they're doing is giving you the picture. <laughs> and in this, it's a picture of a particular emotional language that you're supposed to experience alongside the poet.
1: Well, and I think poetry along those same lines is really is, is a, is an expression that is meant to hit us more in our affections than in our intellect. Can we read it? So that people know what we're referring to here. (laughs) Go ahead. (laughs) Oh, sure. Uh, I'm going to read and not recite. I'm not going to ask you to recite. recite. Uh, Yeah. It's been too long. When in disgrace with fortune and men's eyes, I all alone beweep my outcast state, and trouble deaf heaven with my bootless cries, and look upon myself and curse my fate, wishing me like to one more rich in hope, featured like him, like him with friends possessed, Desiring this man's art and that man's scope, with what I most enjoy contented least. Yet in these thoughts myself almost despising, happily I think on thee, and then my state, Like to the lark at break of day arising from sullen earth sings hymns at heaven's gate for thy sweet love remembered such wealth brings that then I scorn to change my state with Kings.
2: He's given himself a good talking to.
1: Yeah. It's nice.
2: Mm -hmm. It's very nice. It's beautiful.
0: So I, most of the poetry that we brought is more modern, but I brought another poem that is, in a similar time period john dunn's holy sonnet number 10 but do you think there's a reason why most of the poetry we selected is more modern given that we are traditional classical people <laughs> that's interesting um, I, I think I, I have a theory about it go ahead
1: my thought of I, I i hesitated actually even to bring shakespeare because i almost felt in some ways that's the default, like when you're talking, when you're talking about poetry coming from a classical uh, perspective, everybody's just going to go here. And I felt like that would just be a, a repetition of the norm. And so maybe we were well, just looking for something different. Well, the
3: thing is that you get too old and you don't get, you don't have English anymore and you okay. are dealing with the translation. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, of course, some of the great poetry <clears> has been something in translation, you know, I mean, there's, there's. there's the Iliad an number, and the Odyssey. The Iliad and the Odyssey. Uh, uh, you know the p- poetry of Horace, uh, the the Greek dramatists, you know, which are in uh, also poetry. Do you beweep these translations? I, I, I beweep <laughs> them uh, daily, uh, and and so I, I think that you you you're you're de- but you are dealing w- it, when you when you get to poetry that's not English, it's a translation. There is a handicap there. I mean,
0: you, I, I, that, that's my theory is that yeah. if, if poetry is about the words. Then of course we resonate with the words that we know best, or that are closest to the way that we use them today.
2: Well, my reason for picking more modern poetry is that you wouldn't. Well, I guess do you call? Would you call romanticism modern? It's I'd, more modern than I Shakespeare. Think it's like, more yeah. modern than yeah, Shakespeare, it modern, but yeah. it's. But I don't, wouldn't consider it modern. Right. But you all wouldn't let me do my really long ones that I wanted to bring, yeah. so I had to bring short ones because. You rejected me reading The Highwayman here, but,
1: but I do think I, I I do think that going any further back from Shakespeare, you really have a language problem. Right, like that's he, as far he, back he as we he begins go. to establish you the do.
0: kind of poetic language that people are going to use mm. afterwards.
2: Yeah. I mean, even Chaucer, right? Yeah, uh, to
0: Beowulf. read
1: Beowulf. Yeah, you can't read that in the original. No,
0: no, you can't. So, I'm, I'm not going to read Dunn so that we can read some of these other poems, but I would just say that the reason I bring Dunn, and I, I think I would recommend anybody read Holy Sonnet 10, is because, like Shakespeare, what Dunn is trying to do is, in his poetry, he's not pointing to something in the picture, he's pointing to something outside of the picture. That is, what he's writing about are theological and spiritual <coughs> ideas. Later poets, what they're trying to do is talk about what's in the picture. Mm-hmm. and describe vividly some kind of landscape or some kind of scene or some kind of emotion or feeling whereas John John Donne in Holy Sonnet number 10 talks about the death of death which is a theological idea that is just a meditation on the scripture um and I think we can maybe return to that as we read some of these other poets doesn't
2: everybody know this death be not proud though some have called thee yeah. mighty and dreadful for thou art not so i feel like everybody yes <laughs> has, studied this, even if they don't know anything at all about Dunn.
3: Well, and it, 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 I guess maybe because it's short, it's one that is fairly commonly read, Mm -hmm. but you know, if I'm, if I'm going to deal with students, even I think in high school and I'm going to introduce them to poetry, uh, Dunn is the last thing (laughs) I'm going to use because his imagery is so strange and his, the metaphors he uses are not the natural metaphors. I mean, so I I think you need to have read a bit of poetry before you can approach done. Just I agree with, with that. The educators
0: 100%. You, even George Herbert, yeah. who is a similar kind of poet, is so much more clear mm-hmm. in his poetry Absolutely, and yeah. much easier yes. to wrestle with. So, Tanya, who'd you bring? Who are your poets?
2: So I don't really have a love of poetry. <laughs> I've studied a lot of poetry because I majored in English and I truly loved it. And I had some really good teachers in college who, you know, when like putting a poem on the board and really talking Mm -hmm. about it, I really enjoyed that. But for some reason, it never made me want to sit around and read poetry. And I mean, do you all just sit, do you just pick up poetry and read it? Rather than the next chapter of the novel you're reading.
3: Well, I I, see. That's this is why I I think there's a a lot of things that have suffered from the way we live. Okay, baseball because a base baseball is. Okay, I didn't see that coming. Yeah, I didn't either. But I see where it's going. It's the same. It it is that baseball is a lazy afternoon sport, Mm. and when there are no more lazy afternoons, it suffers. It, that used to be America's game and now it's not. No, you got a
0: pitch clock now that we're trying to get it done it, in two they, hours. They,
3: right. Yeah. We're trying to, to shorten it, which is going to ruin it, w- what mm-hmm. it is. Um, and I think the same thing for poetry. I mean, people had time to read poetry. We, we're we so busy now. Our lives are going so fast that the the leisure time that you have is, is is in some cases, gone. And poetry requires you know, pushing everything out and just focusing on this thing, and it's not a story. Because right. you can, you know, you get, jump back in that story. But it's something you take all by itself as a whole and and read it. And I just think uh, it's
2: a little bit more like work.
3: Yes, it is. You ha- you have to really, you know, a, a really poem. I think if people used to sit down and read a volume of poems because. That the the workday was over, there was no TV. You had to find something to do, so you would pick up a volume of poetry, and that—that's not.
1: But but I also think the the, sort of the mentality, right? Of we gotta get stuff done, get stuff done, get stuff done, right? And so, in that sense, like reading a chapter of a book feels more like getting something done than reading Mm -hmm. Mm fourteen lines of yes of uh, beautiful words. Mm. I mean, there was a time. I mean, you asked if we sit there and read poetry. I mean, there was. I mean, I for a couple of months, I made a significant effort to say, okay, in the morning I'm going to get up, and one of the things I'm going to do before I go to work is read a poem, and it was a great couple of months. Mm. I was not able to sustain it, but like, I just this morning I went running out of the house after the farm chores, trying to get here in time for the podcast, and I just felt like. This started my day off wrong. Like if I had sat just for three minutes and read a poem, it would have changed. I do think
2: that we should make more of an effort to read poetry. I think it's
1: a good discipline. Mm -hmm. I've I've fallen
3: out of it. And And
2: I, I just started looking because I really love, I feel like my experience with Wordsworth was the most positive experience I had in college. But I never really went back and revisited him. But I really love "Ode Intimations of Immortality" or "To Immortality." I can't even remember the name of it. But uh, but it's very long, so I didn't bring it. But it's that idea of um, within the poem, his his main thrust is that we are when we are born, we are very close mm-hmm. to heaven, that we are as close as we get. And the older we get, the further away we get from that. And I just love that concept. As the Righteous
0: Brothers say, he lost that loving feeling.
2: Yes. There you go. (laughs) Why didn't you see it? I didn't see that coming. That's great. Well, you know, song is poetry. (laughs) Well, that's the beauty of
1: poetry, right? You Sometimes you never see know where it's going.
2: That's true. (laughs) So I started looking through this little book that we've started selling that was compiled by Joseph Pierce called Poems Every Child Should Know. This is beautiful. Mm. And this is, I loved teaching poetry to my fifth and sixth graders. I just thought it was so fun to to put a poem on the board, to ask them their initial thoughts about it, to listen to them, you know, like when we read The Hobbit, that Over the Misty Mountains mm-hmm. poem, and they memorized the Goblin song. They It just... Uh, when we did Robin Hood, The Brave Old Oak, it was all just so, there was just something about it. And there still is. When you walk down the hall of of a school and you hear a class reciting a poem, it's just wonderful. And it does, and it really comes alive if they know what they're reciting. I mean, it really makes a difference once they recognize what they're reciting and, and what it means. And I just loved it. I loved teaching poetry but I don't read it every day, but maybe, I w- maybe I'll just take this little guy. But it starts with selections from Mother Goose. But I've gone all around the world and not answered your question. Yeah, you haven't. What poem did I bring? So I looked for a short one. So I just kind of settled on The Road Not Taken mm-hmm. by Robert Frost. And I do like Robert Frost um, quite a bit, but I chose this one because it confused me um, I mean it's it seems so simple. Two roads diverge and which one do you take? So he took the one that was not as traveled. But then he says, but actually they're both just as traveled, right. but I took this one and then it ends with regret. Yeah. So it was like I'm gonna come back one day and go down the other road, but you never get to because life takes over. But but then I think, why is why does he have regret? Did he have a bad life? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't
3: know. I
0: love Robert Frost.
3: Well, and I think that also, you know, and and Robert Frost writes a lot of short poems, and so does Emily Dickinson. And I think that that those those two poets poets are really good poets to, I I think, start with. Right. Because of that. And and they're they're much more direct in their expression.
0: So i also brought a robert frost poem and i think everyone knows the road not taken but design maybe people mm-hmm. don't know so maybe let me read design okay. by Robert frost so i found a dimpled spider fat and white on white heel all holding up a moth like a white piece of rigid satin cloth assorted characters of death and blight mixed ready to begin the morning rite, like the ingredients of a witch's broth a snowdrop spider a flower like a froth and dead wings carried like a paper kite what had the flower to do with being white, the wayside blue and innocent heel all? What brought the kindred spider to that height, then steered the white moth thither in the night? What but design of darkness to appall? If design govern a thing so small. Hmm. So like the road not taken, you could read this poem at first and think that what Frost is doing is saying, I was walking on my farm and I saw a spider and, a, and it caught, caught a bug in a trap on a flower. And look at how beautiful it was. But then you start reading it more carefully and you're like, ah, the ingredients of a witch's broth and the dead wings of this bird are carried like a paper kite. And just like the road not taken where at first you think what he's saying is, well, you got to take the lesser path and then you're going to conquer the world because you went (laughs) upstream. It seems like what Frost is actually saying is if design, what he's doing is raging against God in some ways because what he's saying is that if this tragedy of a spider destroying a bug was designed, then what but design of darkness to appall? And all of Frost's poetry is so like on its surface seems so clear and simple. Mm-hmm. And then the layers are so deep. And he his life was pretty terrible. He had like he had six kids, four of them died. Oh young. goodness. His wife died hating him. Uh, he he had just a really hard life, and he was not a very stable man, <laughs> apparently. Mm. And his uh, bi- main and biographer... His poetry
2: reflects that. Yes,
0: it does. His biographer, Lawrence Thompson, wrote a three-volume biography of him that became a character assassination, basically, where it's mm. just like he was the worst person ever. And people have recovered, you know, realized in some ways that was because of the personal conflict he had with Frost, and so maybe not all that's true. But just a fascinating complex person well,
3: isn't the, the, the tortured poet is, yeah is, is, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh you sometimes sometimes seems like the norm you know you got to have but you, you know because a lot of poetry does come with a lot of emotion attached i mean this this the shakespeare sonnet kind of is an example it's or it's about emotion or something so mm-hmm. you got to have some emotions and mm-hmm. i guess if you're uh depressed and tortured and you've got to, then you've got a lot to write about yeah.
0: <laughs> His poem, Home Burial, um, also a similar, the, the whole book North of Boston, which is the first po- book of poetry that Frost published that got very popular because of reviews, popular reviews by Amy Lowell, is worth reading cover to cover. And really, So do you really read good. poetry every day? No, I don't. I, was, I would have answered that question of saying, like, I don't think we're that different in that I've loved the experience of mm-hmm. poetry, and so I've chosen to have those experiences over time, but I wouldn't say like, I just love to sit down and read poetry. Right. So I've prioritized reading Auden and Elliot just because of different other people that they've influenced. And i like, well, I've read North of Boston cover to cover because I wanted that experience. Um, and that's opened up things like Randall Jarrell was a po- poet, pretty, but he's also a commentator on Frost. And reading Jarrell's commentary on Frost mm-hmm. is a really fun thing to do as well. So when you t- spend time on one poem, just like looking at different ways to try to read it, try to think about it. It opens up things that are really fun that you maybe wouldn't have thought of originally.
2: You know, I was in this amazing book group when my kids were little with other people who had small children and it was our escape. But I I just thought when you were talking about that, I thought that would be the thing to do. Mm-hmm. You don't have time to read when you're when you've got little kids right. is to have a poetry book group. Um. And actually take something like a commentary and let that guide you through a poet. Yeah. I think that's a great idea.
0: Martin, what'd you bring?
3: Uh, I just brought, I, well, I brought two. One, one was uh, maybe, you know, I would love to do just a show on a single poem. Mm. And this, this poem, it's, it's a, well, when it w. has B. to be Yates. the poem you picked. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, w. B. Yeats, who's an Irish poet and his, poetry is so irish it's 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 mythological it's lush it's and so his 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 poem the stolen child which is about fairies who are trying to lull this little boy to come with them out of the human world and they give they keep giving him reasons to to leave but the reasons turn out to be exactly the opposite they're, they're not false Technically, they're true because fairies cannot tell a lie. And so, uh, that which makes the whole poem, if you know that, it makes the whole poem even more mysterious. Mm. Uh, and in the end, they take him and they're reflecting back on the things he's hes not going to have to deal with anymore. But all those things are beautiful mm. things. And mm-hmm. so, it's this very, it's, it's a, in a way, it's a creepy poem. Lorena McKinnett. <laughs> and Lorena McKinnett uh, does a, uh, uh, a musical version of this, which is one of my favorite songs ever. Uh, she's a harpist among other things. And she does this, this song on, on the harp and mm-hmm. that's, but you can get that online, but I have a shorter poem, uh, by Walter De La Mer. Uh, and Walter De La Mer's poetry is some, somebody has called it sonic poetry. There's something about the sound of his poetry mm-hmm. that is, you, you, you can't really describe it, but it, It's very affecting, so it's very short. Silver by Walter de la Mer. Slowly, silently, now the moon walks the night in her silver shoon. This way and that she peers and sees silver fruit upon silver trees. One by one, the casements catch her beams beneath the silvery thatch. Couched in his kennel like a log, the paws of silver, with paws of silver Sleeps the dog, from their shadowy coat, the white breasts peep of doves in a silver feathered sleep. A harvest mouse goes scampering by, with silver claws and a silver eye. And moveless fish in the water gleam, by silver reeds in a silver stream. Um, I love that. It's a beautiful Mm. poem, and and there's the word silver is repeated about eight times. And there's uh, it, 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 it seems like uh, like there's a, that "s, that yeah, s sound yeah. is throughout the poem. Um, but here, here you have this is all about the moon looking down on the Earth at night, and in its very glance, it's lighting up things with this silver.
2: So I, so the moon only gets to see silver.: yeah. Well that's the thing. Mm-hmm. I mean
3: I think if you if you were to to really get in depth in this poem you would want to you would want to discuss what does this say about the way you see things mm. that they ch- you know this mm. whole idea in quantum mechanics where the very the very observation of something changes it. And um and so this this is the moon and the moon's glance is changing the very thing the moon is looking at and this is, this is some very interesting
0: it it poem. speaks to kind of the musical aspect of poetry. Yes, I think so. And it reminds this reminds me of Gerard Manley Hopkins. Have you ever read any oh, yeah. Gerard Manley yeah. Hopkins? Just like a very he he was inventing words, but it was all about the music of the words as he's describing nature. And and
3: Hopkins, I find is a, there's a little awkwardness in the, yes. in his poem, whereas as Walter de la Mare's poetry is just as smooth as silver. <laughs> it's no it's it's this very easy straightforward, um, uh, casual rhyme scheme and everything. So I really like the way it sounds.
0: Can can we end by telling you about one more of my favorite poets? Sure. So Carl Sandburg, Mm -hmm. I love because he he's I'm from near Milwaukee. He got his start near Milwaukee, and then he became a very famous Chicago poet. Yeah, and, I was
2: going to say, I thought he was Chicago, yeah, but they're yeah. very close together. They are.
0: They are. Um, and Sandberg, about the same time as Frost, he was in some ways the same level of kind of cleverness and precision, but he was funny and not angry. Mm. <laughs> um, but he still was very biting sometimes in the poetry wrote. And so the one that people read a lot, and I just saw it in that Joseph Pierce book, is Fog, where he kind right. of relates Fog to the cat. And all his poetry is marked by that kind of like very precise, short memorable. Um, but my favorite poem by Carl Sandburg is called soup. And it reads like this. I saw a famous man eating soup. I say he was lifting a fat broth into his mouth with a spoon. His name was in the newspapers that day spelled out in tall black headlines and thousands of people were talking about him. When I saw him, he sat bending his head over a plate, putting soup in his mouth with a spoon. I love
2: that I really love that. I don't know that I've ever read that before. is that in here i don't I don't I think, think so that's great
3: no, yeah, he's uh, I see a sign for his home mm. on uh what road is it going down into North Carolina, yeah North Carolina. Carolina. Uh, yeah, 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 North Carolina,
0: yeah, right. North Carolina. He retired to North yeah. Carolina um yeah. Hmm. The poetry, I think for yep. future episodes we should maybe do what Martin said and, and choose just one long poem. we just skim the surface. This is just, nice like, just going deep. Poetry on one is way. actually great, and you should read it. If you should make some time for it.
2: So wait. So let's get suggestions from our audience yeah. for a poem they would that maybe has confused them that they That'd would be like great. to hear us clear up which i'm sure we could do
0: we could try (laughs) (laughs) all right well i've really enjoyed this uh martin's saying the stolen child that's what the audience is suggesting so (laughs) we'll see you next time thanks for listening thank you so much for listening to this episode of classical etc you can find us on spotify apple music or wherever else you get your podcasts if you like this episode consider leaving us a positive review and sharing it with a friend a huge thank you to the memoria press podcast network for hosting our show Be sure to check out all the great podcasts there. As always, I'm Shane Saxon. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Memoria Press Podcast Network, providing a classical Christian perspective on the world of education. To learn more about Memoria Press, visit us at memoriapress.com. To connect with us, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter.
3: Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.